Well, good evening. It's good to be back here with the few, the proud, the believers. Right? That goes a long way, doesn't it? Hoorah. Well, uh, we love the Lord and we come together because we want, as it, as that song beautifully echoed, we want to enthrone him in our lives, right? We want him to be the echo. You know, we want our shadows to radiate the love of God in some way. So we come together and we study his word. And I'm glad that you're here and I have this privilege of uh, going through this portion of scripture. I know it's, uh, I love the way that we systematically go through uh, books of the Bible. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a lost art, I think, for many places. But we're grateful that the leadership here and the elders seem fit to bring this direction to feed the flock and to challenge us in, in our ways with the walk with our walk with the Lord. I had a, hope everyone had a restful afternoon. Um, I was trying to sleep, but Bethany kept moving in my big easy chair because there's nobody else there. She didn't want to go into her room. Sat in the chair. She kept squirming around. So we watched... Um, about three episodes of uh, my three sons. <laughs> oh man, that was that's um, I'm old. Gee whiz, I remember them, you know. But that was kind of fun. Anyhow, um, this morning we ventured into this section of Genesis, and we were looking uh, at those three chapters: Genesis 25, 26, and 27. We outlined them earlier. Chapter 25, we looked at the descendants of Abraham, and we saw the different uh, aspects of the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, the descendants of Abraham and Hagar, the descendants of Abraham and Keturah. And, you know, we can see uh, in our world today the outcome, the three, as it were, I hate to include it, but the great religions of the world, Islam, uh, uh, Judaism and uh, Christianity to that extent. And um, we, we were able to see how God began uh, to cut a line out, how he began to separate um, the one line from the rest, from the promised son of Isaac, who would be uh, the beginning of the line that would lead us to the uh, Messiah, the Messianic promise. Uh, so we looked at that this morning. And this evening, we we're going to look, and we're going to run pretty rapidly uh, because we want to look at these next two chapters, and chapter 27 is actually fairly long, so we're going to kind of just rush, run through it. And again, uh, you're not going to get everything you need right here. You're just going to get stuff, hopefully, to stimulate you and to, um, to encourage you, to prov can I provoke you? <laughs> to provoke you to study, right? And that's what we want to do. In chapter 26, we're going to see uh, Isaac, and we're going to see a display of moral weakness in his life, that Isaac began a work in digging wells, that he comes back to worship, a delightful worship, and then 
there's some distress, some domestic distress. And those of you who are married, you probably don't know anything about domestic distress, right? Most of you are pretty good, but uh, we're going to see even in the life of this patriarch. In, In chapter 27, there's the house of disorder, and there's four... There's, there are four people in this household, and we're going to see the disorder there and some of the telling uh, marks of these family members. And hopefully, as we look at these, we can identify even in our own lives um, areas that are marks uh, that, that we can identify and maybe uh, help us to get in the right direction if we need to or continue in the right direction as we're going. Romans 15:4 for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What a beautiful beautiful statement that we might have hope. Well turn with me if you will right now quickly to uh well you don't have to turn quickly but you know I uh to Genesis chapter 26 some habits are kind of hard to break. I've coached T-ball for so long that I use the idioms in coaching everywhere I go. You know, in T-ball, you're always move. You know, when you're working with little kids, you have to keep them active and you have to keep them going from one thing to the next. And you know, Kenny, who comes here periodically, the, the Navajo fella, periodically, him and I coached for a while and. I might have picked it up from him. I don't know if he picked it up from me, but when we coached way back when Josh was six, he's like 24 now, 20, I think, yeah. And uh, we would be coaching him, and we'd be saying, okay, get out on the field. Hurry up, hurry up. Come on, hurry up. That was our big thing. Hurry up. Run to the base. Hurry up, hurry up. And so when I say, open your Bibles quickly, that's when it's hard to let some things go. Genesis chapter 26, and we already mentioned that this is, this is uh, uh, the only chapter devoted to Isaac. Isaac, in many ways, is just going to kind of fade off into the lineage, the messianic line. Um, and we mentioned that he lived longer than his father, his son, and his grandson. Now, he didn't you know, they didn't die in his age, in his lifespan, but he lived 180 years. And I think Abraham was 137, something. I, I think it was something like that. So, but he lived a long time, and yet such a small portion of Scripture is allotted to him. And I don't know, you take that for what it is. Maybe we'll build a message on that one day. But, um, but let's look first real quickly. We're going to read. And we're going to find some similarities, a lot of similarities. Linda and I were talking about that at lunchtime. We're going to find a little, a lot of similarities in the life of Isaac, some characters that were the same as in the life of Abraham. And there were some lessons that he maybe could have learned, but didn't necessarily learn them so well. And as a father, that's kind of scary to me, <laughs> right? So... Um, Let's read these uh, 11 verses, and I'll read rapidly. There was a famine in the land, the scripture says, um, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. 
Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because... Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. Uh, For he was afraid to say she's my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when He had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have lain with your wife. And you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Does that sound like something that happened one time before? Huh? To good old Isaac's daddy, right? Um, A lot of these things happened to, to Isaac. When we look in Genesis chapter 12, we find that Isaac was moved by a famine as well. Right? The difference here is that Isaac would ultimately go to Egypt and there uh, he would have the same situation with his wife and he would call her his sister and it was kind of a lie, kind of not a lie because they were cousins and the wording, you know, if you want to get into etymology and everything, he could probably justify himself to some extent. But the fact of the matter is they were both lying. Okay, a lie is a lie. It doesn't, there's, no such, you know, there's no such thing as a white lie and a black lie. It's a lie is a lie. So they were both lying. So there, there's some, thing, some similarities here. The difference with Isaac we see here is Isaac does not make it to Egypt. He almost makes it to Egypt. And I see here, as it turns out here, as it, as it says in... Um, in verse 1, there was a famine in the land besides the first that was in it. And Isaac went to, it went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. There's another the translation that says that he went down to uh, Gerar. And I think from where he was, where he was in Beersheba, he would go down physically into Gerar because he'd go into Gerar and then Egypt would be down below that, if I'm not mistaken with my... Um, geography so he would go down there but he's not permitted to go in there you know it seems to me I missed this before because when I come to this section of scripture I always land on the the promise again the reaffirmation of the promise uh, that through this line God would make them a blessing through this line God would establish the messianic line, right? And you kind of get to that. But there's some interesting things here. We see that he goes down, but he doesn't actually go to the same place. You know, later on, um, 
uh, Jacob is in another situation, isn't he? And uh, uh, there's a famine in the land. I think it's around 37, chapter 37, 38. I'm not sure exactly. I have to look it up. But um, remember, there's a famine. And uh, uh, after they had sold Joseph into slavery, and there was a famine in the land. And where does Jacob go? He goes to Egypt. You know, And I think there's a picture here. There's an illustration here. And this is a famine in Scripture oftentimes reveals a time of testing. It's a time of testing. Um, kind of almost like uh, a fast. You know, what a, you know when you fast? It's a time of testing. You're testing your strengths. You're, you're, you're testing your physical and your spiritual. Right? And they're kind of, they, they might be cousins or sisters. Definitely they're not husband and wife. No, I'm kidding. But it's a time of testing, uh, a famine. And here we see um, Isaac, again, at another time of testing, a time for him. And what does he do? You know, he departs. I believe it's indicating here by him going to Gerir that he's departing from the presence of God. As opposed to where does he turn during this testing? Does he go to God? Does he depend on God? Where does he go? He goes to the king of the Philistines. And I think this is an indication that here he's departing from the presence of God. And then once he, he begins to depart, once that downward spiral, spiral become, starts starts working its way into his life, there's fears that begin to develop. You know when you're apart from God? You know when, when you're not in the right place, when you're not headed in the right direction? You know, you can conjure up all kinds of fears of things that might happen and things that could happen. Because guilt has a tendency to develop fear. And so some fears began to develop. And who knows whether it was a true fear or not. And I think I've read some, and there's some who have said that during this period of time, that an unaccompanied female was always subject to brutality. And it could be true. And I'm sure maybe, it, you know, I'm sure it was to some extent. So he was kind of protecting her. Again, a half lie. Nevertheless, a lie. A lie that was based on a four-letter word, F-E-A-R, fear. There was a fear. He had a fear that they would kill him. Now, God had just made him a fantastic promise. And not long after that, here he is, puts him in a position where he leaves the presence of God, and that fear begins to set in. Proverbs 29.5 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And you know, it's bad enough that the guilt would lead to fear. It would draw him into a, a lying. Ultimately, what, does that lie, what did that lying do? Well, I think it disgraced him. And we see here that his testimony to the living God became, tape, became flawed or 
I was thinking tatered, but that's not tainted. Became tainted. His testimony. He lost his testimony. I mean, a very practical situation. A contemporary situation in our own lives. When we find ourselves away from the presence of the Lord, we know that guilt comes up, fear settles in, and you're going to be busted. You know, it's going to show up. You can run, but you cannot hide. Because no no matter how far you run, I learned this in 1974, no matter how far you run, run, you still got to bring yourself, right? So it will come up. So his testimony was flaw- became flawed um, in this time of testing. But Isaac realizes what happens, and he's brought back into fellowship. Let's read verses 12, uh, and we're going to read quickly 12 through 22. Then Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Uh, Uh, The man began to prosper, and he continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him, it says. Now the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for... You are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, and he uh, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerer, and and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well running water there, But the herdsmen of Gerir quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Esek means quarrelsome or arguing. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, which uh, as well it means uh, enmity. They're against me. And... uh, He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So we see here that there's a a change of disposition. Isaac, is he, he, he leaves the presence of the Lord, guilt sets in, fear arises, And then he's rebuked by Abimelech. What have you done? Remember what he said? What have you done? So there's a rebuke there, and I think it's a kind of a stun for him, and he realizes. So he moves out, and uh, he begins to prosper. I think there was a turning of the heart. Why do I think that? Because the Lord is favoring him. He's prospering. He's, He's doing very well. And because of this, you're going to see a change in the heart of even Abimelech. Because when the flawed testimony was first recognized, Abimelech says to him, okay, well, he doesn't actually say it to him. Well, he says, why did you do this? But then he turns to the people and he says, if anyone touches him, well, they're at, my, they're, 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 they're at risk, right? 
He says, no one's to touch this man or his wife. But when it comes here in, uh, in, um, in verse uh, 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, now it's different. Now he's prospering. See, before when he was living in guilt and fear, Abimelech wasn't necessarily, uh, he wasn't, you know, th there wasn't any pressure on him because he was just like everybody else, living in guilt and fear. But when he repented and he began to prosper and the Lord began to show him favor, well, now Abimelech becomes threatened, right? And what does he say in verse 16? He doesn't say, Okay, everybody leave him alone. Now he commands him, what? Go away, for you are much mightier than we. So there's been a challenge to him, and he sends him away. Um, Isaac began digging these wells as he goes out into the valley. And this is interesting because, you know, um, Abraham had a work. Abraham built altars. And later, Isaac's son had to work. Um, Isaac's uh, son, Jacob, would build pillars. But here we see Isaac digging wells and redigging his father's wells. There's another whole message on that. But we're not going to get into that. You know? And I mentioned it this morning about digging wells. What's the purpose of digging a well? Is it to put water into it? No. It's to receive the provision and this is another indication of a repentant heart. He was looking for the provision of God. And in the process, there was opposition. He engaged in his work in verses 12 and 14. He engaged in his work. And then there was opposition in verses 15 through 22. And we see here in the providential movement of God... Isaac begins to be forced into circumstances that are causing him to return to a place of spiritual fellowship. He's being molded and directed. You see, God defining the line again, right? And I think sometimes God does that, doesn't he? Sometimes he may use circumstances and they appear to be unpleasant but they press us into doing the right thing. What a gracious God we have. Let's read uh, verse uh, 23. Go ahead and pick up in verse 23, and we'll read all the way through um, 33. In verse 23, it says, Then he went up from there to Beersheba. Where is he going? Where he started out, Beersheba. Back into the presence of the Lord. You see how he's being pressed? And the Lord appeared to him that same night. And look at what he says. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not, what? Fear. For I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Reaffirming that promise. So he built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there I... Isaac's servants did what? Dug a well, the provision of God. Then Abimelech came to him from, from Gerir with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Philco, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, well, why have you come to me? 
since you hate me, you've sent me away from you. But they said, well, we certainly have seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that uh, you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. It says, this is a, a, a heathen king. You are blessed of the Lord. Did anybody say that to his father? How about Melchizedek? Huh? Melchizedek called him blessed. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and they swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, even to this day. So we see here this delightful act of worship as he turns back to God in verses uh, 23 through 33. In verse 23, it's, he, got, he heads in the right direction. Before he went down to Gerir, now he goes up to Beersheba. He's heading in the right direction. In verse 24, the renewed promise, the faithfulness of God to a penitent heart. And then in verses 25 through 31, we see that, that we, we see the raised altar here. And I think one of, the, um, one, of the, one of the preachers I was listening to, he gave a great outline to this. And uh, who was it? I think it was uh, Brother William McNeil. And he says, um, the raised altar, it's a spiritual exercise calling upon God in prayer, giving to God his right portion. That's the indication of that altar. He also pitched his tent. That's the expression of a pilgrim character, that this is not our world, right? We're just sojourners in this world. So he pitched the tent, and then he dug a well. He was enjoying the divine provision. Is that sweet or what? The blessing of God and peace with men. Do you see how that worked? When he headed in the right direction. So let's look a little bit further. We're going to read uh, verses 34 and 35 to complete this chapter. And then it says here, um, and it kind of just changes focus all of a sudden. Right? And of course, it's, it's, re, it's retracing, it's going back in history because it says when Esau was, what, 40 years old, okay? So uh, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basemath, I know there's a joke about that somewhere, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. This was a distress of domestic worry we see here. Esau, you know, perhaps I think some of the blame is going to be on Isaac because I think Isaac failed to direct his sons in the way that he should have. Do you know, do you remember what, how Abraham would seek out a wife for Isaac? 
the extent that he would go, well, there's no indication that Isaac does this, right? And in that failure, and later on, we're going to see Isaac still doesn't do it later, but um, Rebecca does. She sends him away up to Laban to make sure that he doesn't because she says later on, we're going to see it, she says later on, when Isaac is about to die, she says, where's my life if I lose my husband and my son? The promised line. Do you see what would happen if both Isaac and Jacob had both been lost? The whole line would have been not fulfilled. So God is making and cutting this path in a very way. Sometimes distress comes upon us due to our own failures, and we need to realize that. And when we see those situations in our lives where, you know, we have children, we're growing up, maybe there's something we should have done, maybe there's something we could have done, maybe we didn't. Well, we repent, right? And we head in the right direction. So it's important that we pay attention to these things. Hebrews 12:16, we've read that already. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward he would have inherited the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. But I don't think he sought it honestly, because, as we've already mentioned, he really didn't care for spiritual matters. He was an earthy man. My question here is, <clears throat> where do you go during times of testing? When you're being proved, where do you go? Down to Gerir? Or do you stay where God has kept you in Beersheba? Do you stay in the presence of the Lord? Or do you seek the counsel of the world and the safety of the world? So that's a little lesson, I think, that Isaac allows us to see here. Now in chapter 27, quickly, if you guys will bear with me, hurry up, hurry up. If you'll just bear with me here, we see the house of disorder. And, you know, we already mentioned that all throughout the book of Genesis, God is dealing with families. There's themes all through scripture that if we take the time to just look at them, we, rec we can recognize the importance of them. There's other issues that he's dealing with, too. He deals with government. What kind of government is going to run uh, the, the nation and, and things like that? There are certain things. But in, we're, we're looking at how he's dealing with families. He dealt with Adam. He dealt with Noah. Here he deals with Abraham. Later on, it will be Isaac and Jacob. And there are four people in this particular family, four people in this house of disorder. Isaac, Jacob, Esau, and Rebekah. And we want to note some telling marks in each of these family members. Isaac, the father, we've already mentioned, he is marked by declension. There was a declining in his life. As he got older, it seemed that he was less and less interested in the spiritual things. Can you imagine Isaac the one who was marched and walked with his father hand by hand up to an altar 
where he was to be placed and sacrificed to God, that Isaac would decline in spiritual interests? If he can do it. Can you imagine? This Isaac begins to decline and he seems to be declining and and it indicates it here that it says in verse 1 of chapter 27, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son. His eyes became dim and there's some picture there of more than just physical. Um, And we can tell that just by his life. Jacob. Well, Jacob, what was the mark that Jacob had? Obviously, Jacob was marked with deception. He was the great deceiver. And when we look at him, we say, how could God use a man like that? Esau and the other son, we understand that he was marked with despair. And I think that it would be the right outworking of a life of despair because he was a man without hope. His hope was in this world, which perishes. It's fleeting. So he was marked with despair. And of course, Rebecca, the mother, ultimately a lot of it, a lot of this was on her shoulders A lot of this, I think, she was responsible for, as we see. She's marked with distress, with distress. Well, let's look at it, and we're going to learn some lessons. Isaac, in his later years, had nothing for God. Look at verses. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Now, it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son. He said to him, My son, and he answered, He... He answered, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out in the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Look, what is he satisfying there? Bring me some food that I may what? Eat, right? Here's a... Uh, he's you can see he's losing his spiritual vision and now rebecca was listening when isaac spoke to esau his son and esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it so rebecca spoke to jacob her son saying indeed i heard your father speak to esau your brother saying now before we go any further i just want to show a contrast when you look and i don't know this might i might be reading into it i i don't know you can let me know But when you look at verse 1, you see Isaac who calls his son. When you look at verse 6, you see Rebekah who calls her son. Do you see? Well, he says to them, bring me game. Or Rebekah says to to Jacob. I keep saying Isaac. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying... Bring me game and make savory food for me uh, that I may eat it. Well, wait a minute. We're... Oh, she's telling what I heard the father say. I got a little, had a little brain freeze there. <laughs> so, so Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, 
Bring me game, make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me their two choice kids of the goats and I will make savory food uh, from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, he's hairy, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall see him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse on me, on myself, and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, get them for me. And he went, and he got them, he brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house. And he put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids and the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Well, we see here that First of all, the head of the household, his eyes are growing dim and he's losing his visual, his vision. And it's a picture of, we already mentioned, a state of spiritual declension. And, and I think in chapter 26, we already spoke about it, that he failed to order his sons in chapter 26. He failed to direct them. He was maybe not an absent father, as it were, but he might have been more of an uninvolved father, you know, to that extent. And we see that uh, here he, he begins to, to uh, frustrate the divine purpose. You remember when the twins were in uh, Rebecca's belly and they were fighting? God would reveal to them his divine purpose, right? And... Um, he begins to frustrate that or attempts to frustrate that. We see that Isaac here, he's moved by a natural desire. He wants, he wants some physical satisfaction to provoke his soul. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay, He wants to eat some meat so that his soul can bless him. I mean, he might be tricking himself a little bit. You know, and we also see in this lesson that Isaac, he had uh, like a natural devotion to Esau. He was a lot like Esau, the red man, the man of the earth. And he, just like earlier, uh, had began to depart from the presence of the Lord in the same way. And so in Isaac, there was a spiritual declension and and. That which we see was spiritual, it was being pushed to one side. And he was beginning to be governed by natural desires, by natural uh, devotion. I have this written down here. This proves that even the best of us can make mistakes. Instead of being guided by that which is spiritual, we may be guided by that which is natural. You know what that's called in the New Testament? The carnal man. That's the carnal man. So we see that he was heading that way. Let's pick it back up in verse uh, 18. So, when, so he went to his father, uh, this is uh, Jacob, 
So he went to his father and he says, my father, uh, and he said, here I am, uh, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? You know, he might be losing his vision, but he's not losing his scruples, is he? Right? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. And, and Isaac said to Jacob, oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> and Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and he said, hmm. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he, he didn't recognize them because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed them. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. <laughs> and he said, well, bring it near to me and I will eat my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his, what? Clothing. <laughs> and he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of, the, of a field, like the earth. It's the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. 30, verse 30 says, Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. And Jacob had scarcely gone out <clears throat> from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So we see here that, um, <clears throat> that Jacob, I mean, all these characteristics of him, we see in verse 19 that he's a liar. He lies. We see in verse 20 that he's a hypocrite. His father says, how'd you get it so quickly? He says, well, the Lord God brought it to me. He's a hypocrite. We see in verse 22 that he's a deceiver. He deceives his father. You can see that his father says, well, I don't know. It doesn't sound like him, but it feels like him. And, of course, later on he's going to smell him too. Right? That's what happens. <laughs> you know, when you begin to leave the presence of the Lord, I am convinced that there's a loss of discernment. Spiritual things are more difficult to understand, you know, and there's a, there's a loss of discernment there. So he went to the natural things to try to make his to make his case and his judgment. You see in verse 23 that he's a thief, right? He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's hands, so he blessed him he yeah the blessing should have went to him anyway because he bought the birthright right but he stole it here he stole it here Jacob 
is a marked man. <laughs> and his mark is a mark of deception. Well, let's read a little bit quicker now, and we're going to try to finish up here. We want to look at two more people. We want to look at um, uh, Esau and then Rebekah. In verse 31, it says, And he also uh, had made a savory food and brought it to his father. And he said, this is, this is Esau. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. I think, <clears throat> I'm sure he felt a lot worse this time than he did when he lied about Rebecca. You know, I think, I'm sure he felt, it says here he trembled. And he said, who? Where's the one who, who hunted game and, and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I blessed him and, and indeed he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, the tripper, <laughs> the deceiver? Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now, look, he has taken away my blessing and said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me, Father? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren. I have given to him his servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one? Can you see this guy? I mean, he's recognizing his despair. He has no hope. Just one. Have you not saved just one for me? And Isaac answered and said, Well, okay. Behold, your dwelling shall be on the fatness of the earth, of the dew of the heaven from above. And this could be another sermon for another time. But your sword shall live. By your sword you shall live you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Despair. Esau lived in despair. I want to note a few things from this. And one thing that we see is that Esau despised those spiritual privileges. And that brings despair. And he also forsook the spiritual principles we saw in chapter 26. And here we're going to see that Esau hated the spiritual people because, you know, Jacob placed a value on the birthright. So this was the, the mark of Esau, a mark of despair. Rebecca, verses 42 through 46. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. In other words, he's not going to be happy until he kills you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him, look at this, a few days. Do you know? I don't know if Esau ever saw his mother again. 
It was only supposed to be for a few days. And, you know, this is some 20 years before Abraham dies. I mean, he doesn't, he's like, he doesn't know when he's going to die. And he sends him away for 20 years. I mean, what distress this woman had to endure. You know, send him away for a few days until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from here, from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? See what he said, what she says there? Her concern was that she would lose both Abraham or both um, Isaac and Jacob. And of course, in the providence of God and in the working and the establishing in the messianic line, we know that wouldn't happen. So it says in verse 46, it's 46, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Who, who took a bride from the daughters of Heth? Esau. And not only did he take one, <laughs> but he took two. Right? And these were the enemies. It would ultimately be one of the fiercest enemies of the children of Israel. Rebecca, marked by distress. You know, I already mentioned it, but I think that she was to blame for a lot of the disorder that was in the house. She took a lot on her own. And, uh, but what we find out is, is that, you know, God was behind this working this out, securing the lineage that would ultimately bring the Messiah in. From this point, we see God's going to take Jacob out of his home of disorder. And he's going to make him the man that he ought to be. And God still does that today. You know, there are many of us that live, there are many people who live in homes of disorder. We had the privilege of serving the Lord last week, and we saw a lot of children who are unsupervised and whose lives are in, you know, potentially, you know, shackled, right? But God is in the business of restoring lives, and he does that to Jacob. This is the proof. Jacob had a very poor beginning. <laughs> he lived in a home where the father was marked by declension. He began to lose his spiritual vision. He was brought up in a home where he was taught to deceive by his mother, right? And he was in a home where he was living with a brother who was marked by despair and even threatened his life. And he lived in a home where his own mother was torn apart by the distress that was, she brought on mostly. But by the providence of God, I believe. And this was all because... God was left out of their reckoning. They took all this into their own hands. And God was left out of their reckoning. Are there some lessons that we can learn from that? I pray that there is. The Lord is good and you've been patient. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the depths of it. and <laughs> We don't have time. And we think of that writer of Hebrews and 
chapter 12, and he says, I don't have the time, I don't have the paper, I don't have the ink to write of the great works of God. But they're there for our learning. We thank you that we've been taught tonight through these lessons and through your preserved word. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.